Are you ready to take the next step forward and make the jump into multifamily investing? If you are, pay attention to the next two episodes. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, gang, how's it going? Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're doing well. You know, what is today? Wednesday, Wednesday all day. Just been booking guests this morning for the podcast. Got a really couple, I'm not going to give names yet, but some really cool guests that we're lining up for the podcast here. It's going to be podcasts. It's also going to be video. It's going to be some some really, you know, some heavy hitters here. And we're going to dive deeper into some research. We're going to dive deeper into some, you know, some tax planning. We're going to dive deeper into the mindset. You know, here's the thing. When I'm kind of putting all this together, including one of my core training programs, here's the framework that I look at is if the biggest obstacles that real estate investors face is the TEAM acronym. Remember, I've talked about this many times. If it's a lack of time, lack of education, lack of attitude mindset, lack of money, and lack of team. If those are the biggest obstacles that real estate investors face to build and scale and grow and even start their portfolio of real estate, why not put together a podcast, put together training materials, put together resources to help you overcome all of the obstacles? And that's kind of the lens. That's the framework that I look through when I'm putting together these podcasts, when I'm putting together my content, is how do I keep busting through limitations? How do I keep busting through th- obstacles that people have? Because honest to goodness, if you eliminate all the obstacles, and I'm a firm believer in this, if you eliminate all the obstacles that people will f- encounter in this journey, if you eliminate all of them, which is going to be very impossible to do, but if you get as close as you can to eliminating all the obstacles, the only thing left is success. Okay, so that's the framework that I always try to work on to build this together. Now, for many of you, um, if you've been following along, um, it's this is going to be released in February 2022. Um, my January book of the month that I was really just crushing out and really going deep dive into was The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hoping to get one of those two authors on the podcast. That was what I dove into in January with the goal at the end about how many things can I implement from that book. That is the entire goal. This month's book is something that I read back in 2020, listened to and read back in 2020. And um, now I'm going back over it again because it was a perfect, perfect dovetail to um, the gap and the gain with Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy is Atomic Habits with James Clear. So if any of you guys have read that book, a phenomenal book, especially when you combine it with the gap and the gain and Atomic Habits, some amazing, profound changes can happen from your habits and also from how do you measure your progress. That's what the two dovetail perfectly together. Now, just going to give you guys a recommendation as well. And this is an app that I just recently found, just been really diving into it, is having is some of the learning from Atomic Habits is, you know, point and speak. You know, when you see something, talk to it. When you see something, speak to it. That sounds really weird out of context, but it's like, Okay, when you're doing something, a habit, you know, you're walking by 
leave my phone alone, point to it, leave my phone alone, right? Or if you're walking by the fridge, you know, no cheese today, point at it, right? So you're just reinforcing the habit that you want to do. Now, one of the things I want to do is I want to reinforce the habit by having streaks. How many days in a row can I have the good habit or eliminate the bad habit? I found this wonderful app. It's on the App Store. It's called Streaks. Go figure, hey? Streaks, it's an app in the App Store, and it is a fantastic little um, visual representation of how you can do things about, you know, I get my power list done. I am spend an hour a day working on my finances. I generate wins. I recap my wins daily. I have no phone in the bedroom, right? Eliminate my sugar content. I am cheese-free. I am healthy. I close my rings. And just putting those visual cues into how many days in a row that you can have these good habits form is a powerful, powerful framework to build some good habits and eliminate bad habits. So I'd highly encourage you for number one, Gap in the Gain. If you have not read it, dive into it. Number two, Atomic Habits by James Clear, another fantastic book to dive into it. And number three is maybe another resource is Streaks app on your app store. I think it's a paid app. I think it was like seven bucks. Very worthwhile investment into your personal development, into good, powerful, empowering habits. And by all means, take it from there. Okay, gang, let's get into this. So this next episode is going to be a two-part podcast interview, which came from a four-part video interview. Now, if you remember back a couple, was it before Naran's or was it before Brian's? One of those two episodes, I kind of gave you the little backstory about why it was, uh, <laughs> why I took, broke it into the way it was broken into half hour segments is because the video camera would only do that half hour segment. Now, can you guys hear that? You probably can't hear that in the background. Um, Scooby is just snoring away. Hey, Scoops, you're um, setting a bad example for everybody trying to listen to this podcast. Everybody is alert and paying attention and they got a pen out and they got a paper out and they're writing notes and you're sitting away and sleeping on the job, sitting there sleeping in your donut here. His donuts, his little bed in the background. He's just snoring away here. <laughs> so, so anyways, I digress. Today's two-part episode is the start of an interview I had a couple of years ago with Pierre Paul Turgeon when we were traveling and we were able to get together face to face and we were able to have wonderful, amazing conversations in people's homes. And, you know, we weren't maybe afraid to get on an airplane and go see people and stuff like that. Is that interview that I had with Pierre Paul a couple of years ago out on his farm just outside of um, Calgary, just outside of Cochrane, Cochrane, Alberta. And, you know, we dove deep into a lot of things, but mostly when you have a chance to talk to Pierre Paul Turgeon, who's one of Canada's leading trainers and when it comes to multifamily investing, um, a wealth of information, a wealth of resources, a wealth of knowledge. We talked an awful lot about multifamily investing. You know, we talked about making the, the leap from single family to multifamily. We talked about some of the advantages and disadvantages. We talked about the kind of capital requirements that you'd have how critical the relationships are to being in the multifamily space. 
the biggest differences and how do you raise capital from single family and multifamily? I'll be surprised that the differences, the process is not different. There might be a different instrument or might be a different name or maybe just a level of different sophistication, but the process to raising the capital is extremely similar. All the steps that we teach, that I teach within the raising capital, that I teach many of my coaching clients are identical whether you're raising 100,000 or 100 million, exactly the same. How do you prevent the risk? What are the risk factors, different structures? And then he also shared his Moses plan on how he presents opportunities to potential investors. This is a deep one, guys. This is a deep one. You better have your pen and paper out because you will be coming back to this one often. You'll be coming back to this one regularly because it is that much content and that much information. Okay, let's just get right after it. With all that being said, guys, Please help me welcome to the podcast, Mr. Pierre Paul Turgeon. All right, welcome back, everybody. Oh, a beautiful, sunny day out yep. here in Cochrane, Alberta. Uh, my good friend, Pierre Paul Turgeon, just made this amazing breakfast. It's early in the morning. Yep. We're going to have a beautiful cross breeze flowing through here. Uh, life and is I made good. two eggs with fresh eggs. Fresh eggs from, from, my chickens. from the chicken coop. <laughs> so life is grand, my yep. friend. So yep. guys, we're going to get right to this. Pierre Paul Turgeon, welcome. To, thank you, Russell. Good How long has you. it been, my friend? Since we know each other, since we've been involved in real estate. Well, how about how long we've been since we've known each other and how long has it been since we last chatted, really? So we've known each other, I guess it's 10 years this year, this yep. being 2018. And since we've seen each other, it's got to be two, three years. Two, three years. Yeah. So it's, it's fun. I'm, I'm having a blast doing all these interviews, just reconnecting with some really yep. good people. Yeah, very and, cool. And you know, I'm from Saskatchewan and I, and as my mom says, use good people. Right? <laughs> so, so guys, we're going to have a, a wonderful conversation here. We've got, we're, we're full of tomatoes and, and avocado and f- bacon and fresh eggs and cappuccino. You make a wicked yep. cappuccino here yep. in Pierre Paul's beautiful home here. So how I've been starting off a lot of these interviews is I'm sure that a lot of the people watching this know a lot of your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know, you know, the, the CMHC role and you're the multifamily expert, but not everybody does know that. Okay. So maybe if you can just spend a few moments and give us the, you know, and we're showing our age by this reference of Cole's notes, oh, the Cole's okay. notes version <laughs> of, of uh, and just for some context about where you've been and you have a, this could be an entire episode of just where you've been. You're, you have an amazing story I have on, an amazing on your story. education. And an amazing life. Yes. yes, absolutely. So maybe just for the context of within realm of real estate yep. and all that fun stuff, share that with us. So my, my key background is it pertains to real estate is obviously my background at CMHC. But what people may not know is CMHC used to have, I think they still do, have some international activities. And I was a project manager at CMHC's head office in Ottawa. So that was providing, uh, you know, consulting advice to foreign countries how to set up uh, what we have in Canada, which is mortgage default insurance. So mm-hmm. I was a project manager. So we worked in places like Africa, Gabon, Mali. Uh, I worked in the Middle East and uh, Palestine. We created PMHC, Palestine Mortgage and Housing Corporation, <laughs> which so this, they still, uh, you know, originates loans and all of that. And then I just wanted to acquire a hands-on. I was a project manager, but I wasn't delivering the housing finance expertise mm-hmm. per se. So I took a job in uh, the Calgary office at CMHC to acquire the mortgage default insurance. So I became yeah. an underwriter. Right. Actually, I became an underwriter for single homes first, uh, you know, people buying principal residences or small rental properties 
use one to four units, like a duplex up to a quadruplex, if you will. And uh, then after that, I did a stint, quite a long stint, four years in default management and real estate at CMHC. Yeah. I actually managed that department. And that department has twofold, two sides to it. Uh, the real estate side is the real estate when people default on their mortgages for small, either small rental properties, one to four units, or principal residences. Yep. I had a small department that was working with the lenders to mitigate the claims. And if the lenders were unsuccessful after foreclosing on the properties, if they were unsuccessful in selling these properties, my small department would take back these properties and expose them to the market again. Mm. So that was, I was managing those staff. In addition to that, the default management, and this is relevant for why we're, yeah. we're sitting here, you and I, that was my key area is manage default of apartment buildings. Yes. And as you know, I'm a coach in this area. It's kind of cool because yeah. not only do I teach the front end of the business yeah. how to acquire apartment buildings and invest in them, but also I know what uh, a bad multifamily deal or apartment deal hmm. looks like. So it's kind of teaching on the offensive as well as the defensive. So that's right. been my story at CMC. So that background, it just, it just perfectly ties together. So you've been in real estate for a, a lot longer a long than time. you've been in real estate. Yeah. You've, you've, you've had some amazing training, you know, of seeing it from the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And you could see yeah. how many, how much a wingnut sometimes real estate investors are yeah. because you can actually see it from the bank's perspective. Absolutely can. Right. That is the perspective I offer and what they want to know, which is relevant for today's topic as well, because yeah. what the banks want to know is also what our investors want to know. Yes. Right. It's what are the risk factors and how to mitigate them. And that happens to my, my core expertise. Yeah. Indeed. And, and, you know, as much as we like to think we live in a society of just go for it and just live on yeah. the edge and just, you know, crush it out there and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It, we live in a world of really mis risk mitigation. And, and that's that's human nature is, yeah. is more they do more to protect themselves from the risk than yeah. actually going for their dreams. No, absolutely. So it's investing. There's always a risk involved. But I mean, you know, we can do a good job to minimize the risk and mm -hmm. the potential of having issues with our risk investment. So it's yeah. a good training. I can't yeah. deny that it served me well. Good training, but there is a fine line between being so cautious that you actually don't do anything. Yeah. And then also to actually have enough information and mitigate enough risk to actually move forward, which the next <laughs> phase of your conversation, yeah. of your story is when did you take the jump into being an investor? Yeah. A direct investor. Yeah. And I got to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. My spouse has always been involved in real estate. Oh, nice. So I'm very lucky to, you to married have a spouse. Up, you, you married in the yes. up, up club, yeah, like so, I did. <laughs> she never made the move into apartment buildings, obviously, because mm. it's a different game altogether. So I, I'm lucky to have a spouse that can have these conversations. She understands the, the side of the business. But for us, because I want to speak as a couple, because it is a couple business, uh, we're both in it, uh, for the good and the bad, Yes, we made the move you know, I wasn't happy, as you said, uh, my former colleagues at CMHC, despite having all the same knowledge I have, mm -hmm. you know, working at CMHC, you're right, they wouldn't be taking the kind of risk you and I take to invest mm -hmm. in real estate. Uh, and I was tired of that cubicle, what I call cubicle mentality mm -hmm. at CMHC. You know, you got a song sheet, you got to sing it, you got a script, you got to abide by the script and all yeah. of that, that restraint always. And, you know, having an employer owning my time and my freedom and my freedom of thought. So that's something that I wanted out of. And I was increasingly unhappy with CMHC. 
but, but let the truth be told. I saw how much money people were making with real estate yes. and apartment buildings in particular. And the story I like to tell, uh, you know, it, it, to that effect, uh, Russell, the big aha moment came to me in 2008, 2009. So let's backtrack a little bit what was happening in 2008. We live in Alberta, so I compare yes. everything to the price of oil. Sorry, yes. guys, but uh, everybody, everybody in Canada well, should know more about oil because it's 30% of our growth. It, our, it our, actually our is a driver Canada. of Canada's economy. 30%. So as, as rightfully or wrongfully, yeah. it is what it is. Just a little hint, you guys. I mean, I didn't. I lived out east. east I didn't yeah. know any of these things. Yeah, but this isn't an Alberta accent, right? No, no, yes. no. no. French-Canadian accent. Sexy French-Canadian accent. Um, but anyway, so the price of oil in the summer of 2008 was 140 bucks a barrel. But then all hell broke loose, as we recall. Mm-hmm. The financial, international financial system broke down. Uh, banks were lending to each other. Anyways, it was uh, mayhem, total mayhem. And me, little me, decided to put an offer in August of 2008. Uh, my deal closed in December 2008. I'll remember December 5th, 2008. Some of those dates you never yes. forget, right, Russell? Because yes. <laughs> then the rest <laughs> is history. Your first kiss, your marriage, <laughs> exactly. your birth of your children, the day you put an offer in that the market tanks. Yeah, within weeks, right? Yeah. Because 2009, if you recall, marked uh, the beginning of the Great Recession, the yeah. greatest recession since the 2000 and, uh, sorry, 1930s yes. uh, re- re- depression. And yeah, here I go. So that was my first move. I still uh, wear uh, the scars uh, proudly of that uh, because you learn from these things, mm-hmm. right? But what I saw, I was still an underwriter at Sammy Sue, so a multifamily underwriter. At that time, we forgot to make that link from my workplace. So I managed the default department, default and real estate department at Sammy And then I went on to move to the multifamily underwriting department. Oh, so I became okay. a multifamily underwriter at that time. And so in 2009, I had been an underwriter, multifamily or apartment building underwriter rider, meaning that my job was to assess the risk as it pertained yep. to CMT insuring these apartment building loans and mitigate them, maybe reduce the loan amount and all yep. sort of stuff like that. Uh, but so in 2009, at uh, the peak of the Great uh, Recession of 2009, what happened amazed me. That's my big aha moment. I saw so many people make money with apartment buildings at a time when this is the greatest recession mm-hmm. since the 30s. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, so that that's really what woke me up at that point. Right. Also, I had bought my first one at, at that timing, but it was reassuring to know that if you make it through, you can make big bucks because people were refinancing their apartment buildings, some large landlords, millions of dollars, at least hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars out of those yep. properties. Because what we remember what happened is uh, the interest rates went down yeah, significantly. To, to nothing, essentially. Yeah, like one and a half percent, I think, yeah. overnight, uh, you know, they dropped by about one and a half percent. So that's sort of when I started the big move. And since then, now I own 160 doors, a portfolio worth about 22, 23 million dollars. Wow. Yeah, and, it's been and, a ride. And obviously, you had all the money in your bank account in cash sitting there oh, to, buy all those, to buy all those properties. Not. <laughs> <laughs> Not. So, so you had to learn the, the, the art and the science of raising capital. Yes. Right? And, so and what reason. is your ballpark number that you would estimate in capital that you've raised? For, oh, I know that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, $6 million. Six? Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm keeping track because right now I'm affectionately calling this the $100 million yeah. interview series yeah. because it's now over $100 million in capital raised. Okay. And... I'm going to be interviewing a guy soon that's going to even have almost double it. So oh, yeah. I'm going to have to maybe call it the billion billion yeah. dollar club. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so suffice it to say, you know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's been trial and error uh, to a large extent. You, right, in mm-hmm. uh, our years and our previous careers, what you did, you did a lot of great teaching that I remember about raising funds, but picked up on models like that, adapted it to my circumstances. Yes. 
because I don't know who your audience is. I would assume there's all sort of investors, real estate yeah. investors, there's, people uh, that invest in small rental properties as well as there's, large there's ones. There's three, three types yeah. of people that are audience. Um, People just getting started, okay. which is usually the majority of people. Yep. People that have uh, bought some properties and uh, accomplished, and now they're ready to start buying some bigger things. Okay. And then there's also going to be a, prof- a group of professionals that are ready to scale okay. and ready to 10x this into the you know $50 million raise, $100 okay. million and, and more. And so there's a, a wide range. This conversation, I would consider the accomplished to scaling yeah. a little bit more advanced. Yeah, but all of it yeah. is mindset. As you know, yes. uh, Russell, I teach this stuff as well. People say, hey, I invest in small rental properties. Mm-hmm. Can I do the multifamily thing? Absolutely. You can do anything. And it's not just BS. Like it's not just rah, rah, rah stuff. It's all your mindset. You have to work on your mindset. Yeah. But one thing I need to tell about me when I raised money. So it, it's been a trial and error. Some of the tools initially I used weren't uh, quite appropriate. Had to mm-hmm. tweak them for my world. But my world is the big leagues. Okay. Yeah of real estate investing. That means what? That means that the world of people I, 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 or the number of stakeholders is a lot smaller than yep. for you know smaller rental properties. Like yep. I mean by that, the realtors, number of realtors are going to work with uh, mortgage brokers, lenders, and so on. It's a much more finite world. Yep. So you need to walk a straight line and know what you're doing. You need to do a lot more homework than you would and it's the same thing goes with raising money. You yep. need to uh, cross your uh, T's and dot your I's yep. very, very specifically. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work because the stakes are higher yep. and uh, your reputation, you need to build it up. And after that, it precedes you. Like, I never look for properties. You know, properties come to me because P- Pure Paul has his stuff together. And mm-hmm. people who work with me know that, but you have to prove yourself up front. Yeah. So I just want a little caveat well, here. Absolutely. So you're, so you're really looking for the select few in yeah. both capital and opportunity. Correct. Not looking for the broad many. Yeah. And I would, I would, you know, now it's a tough time for us, as we've said in Alberta and real estate wise and mm-hmm. all that. And in these difficult times, the choice of investors, of partners, joint venture partners, call them shareholders, call them what you will. Mm-hmm. I am so happy that it took the time to select them carefully. Uh, with one exception, we stick together. It's a marriage. It's yep. a marriage relationship. You know, uh, raising money and investing in real estate, especially apartment buildings. That's another distinction now that I know uh, have a better sense for your audience. Apartment buildings are definitely a long-term investment. Real estate is always is if you want to yep. be successful. But for apartment buildings, even more so the case because it takes longer to stabilize the property, right? To maximize the performance yep. of the property. So that means that when you raise money from somebody, select them well. Make sure that they understand that your investment horizon or the investment horizon that you're contemplating is long-term, not yep. short-term. Yep. You can't sell a multifamily property very quickly if you're needed, you're needed cash or stuff like that. And in the tough times, you know that they're going to be there. They're not going to be whining and complaining. Mm-hmm. So it's important. Well, it's typically in the in the world of multifamily, you're actually looking, you you are out there looking for the biggest problem. The yep. biggest problem that you because typically the bigger the problem, the cheaper the price, the better yep. the price, the better the yep. opportunity. Yeah, um, which is a little bit a different mindset sometimes yep. than single family. Sometimes the single family people are, are um, you know, they're looking for brand new and they're looking for yep. easy and they don't yep. want to do all the work. Yeah, right. Yep. But so you're looking for those problems because it's yep. going to take. You got to have the intestinal fortitude yes. to actually turn around. Probably could be yeah. a couple years before oh, yeah. it actually gets turned around. Oh yeah, and sometimes more more than that. You yeah. know, might be the first uh, loan term of you know typical uh, loan term is five years. So yeah. it takes a while. You it, it depends. Every you know, and this is the challenge about teaching this you and i do every property has a personality of its own mm-hmm. one might be an easy an easy you know home run where you can 
turn it around within a year. You know, if uh, the repairs, the upgrades required are not too significant, mm -hmm. uh, depending what you're buying. Some of them, you know, you don't want to kick out all the tenants, evict all the tenants. You still need to kick cash flow. Yep. And oftentimes, uh, Russell, and this is something also that, that I teach, you know, you, I like to put enough money in to, to secure the investment, to, to assess the risk factors as physical, physical property mm -hmm. risk factor that I call, what conditions the property in if we need a new roof and all of that. But also I like to, on tenant turnover, take the cash flow of the property, re-inject it to continue the stabilization yes. of the property. That way it doesn't reduce your cash on cash return type of thing. So, okay. I mean, but everybody's different. Yeah. You know, everybody and every property is different. You may be able to stabilize it faster depending on its condition at purchase. Yeah. Wow, you said a lot there. And Sorry. So, I know that there's so much that we can unpack, and that's, and that's why you, you've put yeah. together an entire program of uh, yeah. 50, yeah. 50 plus videos and growing yeah. each, each, yeah. each week. Mm -hmm. I hope we can add this video yeah. to that program as well. Of course. Um, can you just give maybe just, a, and we'll just talk broad strokes to start for diligence on a building. What yeah. is what is the most important things that you look for when you kind of go through? And I know when you do your live workshops, you actually bring people, you put, take them to the roof, you yeah. get down into the yeah. boilers. Yeah. It's a very hands-on, experiential. Absolutely. Experiential. Is, Super is, important to me. And yeah. uh, so, so for somebody watching this, you know, and maybe they're thinking about multifamily. What is your peer, Paul's? What is your kind of criteria you look for down yeah. the list? And it's tied to raising capital, yes. right? A wrestle. Yeah, so the better due diligence you do, correct. the better the story you can tell correct. to the investor. Yeah, it's a double whammy because mm -hmm. if you do your due diligence properly, which is what I teach, which is the core expertise yeah. that I have as a former multi-apartment building underwriter, and it's the same kind of system that I use to convince investors to invest with me. So there's... There's basically four key risk factors in any real estate deal, including mm -hmm. small rental properties. It's your property risk. What condition is it yep. in? Then it's your market risk, right? What kind of market are you investing in and all that? What are the going cap rates yep. uh, in your given market and all that? Then the valuation risk. Are you paying too much for the property or just the right amount? Or, yep. you know, is there a deal there that you're buying under market value? And if so, why? You need to investigate why. Because mm -hmm. sometimes buying under market value doesn't mean it's always a good thing. There might be something hidden there, why it's below market value. And then the fourth key risk factor is your you as an investor, as a borrower. So property risk factor, market valuation, and the borrower or investor risk yep. factor. And your job, uh, I mean, it's the bank's job, but us first, before we get to the bank, is to assess these risk factors and mitigate them accordingly. Right. But if you're going to approach some Somebody to raise money to buy one of those apartment buildings or a smaller rental property, you need to convince these people that you've you're aware, you've assessed these risk factors yeah. thoroughly and mitigated them as best as can be, hmm. as to minimize the chances of these risks, yeah. you know, flaring up and you know, increasing your chances of having a successful well, investment. So, so if you guys were paying attention, I hope you, if you haven't got a pen and paper, <laughs> I think you better get one right now. Um, <laughs> What Pierre Paul just gave you was a, an absolute it's a framework, golden presentation framework. It's, yes. And, and just correct me if I'm wrong yes. property, market, price, valuation, yeah. and then you, the investor, correct. as well. And it's, it's important brilliant. to see ourselves as a risk factor. Yeah. And, and you're right. You said at the beginning of this interview, Russell, this is. Uh, it's just a cool place for me to be, to have this knowledge. And when I raise money, that's how I pitch it to my investors. Mm -hmm. I literally go through these four risk factors yep. and I tell them, you have to be succinct, right? The problem, especially with novice people, and I think we've all been there, at least for me, and I'm sure you have mm -hmm. in your early days, we tend to write too many words 
get to the bottom line. Yes. And that's an easy framework to remember. Four key risk factors and you go through them. And you, when you conduct your due diligence, yep. you analyze them and you assess them. And I pitch deals like that to investors. Nice. That's exactly and, the way I, and I do And we're it. going to, in the next segment, we're, we're going to talk here shortly about um, your Moses plan. You call yep. it the Moses plan. Yep. So so before we get that, I do want to, I do have a question, but we will have to part the part the Red Seas yep. in order to have the Moses yep. plan. We'll have to come down with the yep. tablets. Yeah. With things. So, um, <laughs> A fear. There's there's a lot of people have fear of talking to others about yeah. money. Yeah. And you know it, 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 where it comes from is irrelevant. It's yeah. it's a real fear. Did you ever experience those fears? Maybe when you first got started. Maybe even today you may have yeah. that fear. And how obviously in order to raise five six million dollars for capital, you've had to get past it. Yeah. So do you experience it? And how does somebody get past oh, it? Oh, I, I really really appreciate that question because as you, I'm a you know speaker and coach and trainer in these. Absolutely, I come from a humble family. I'm number nine of a family of twelve in some mining town in northwestern Quebec. And uh, money, there was no money around. We were somewhat poor. And so that's something that if you want to raise money successfully, you got to get over it, guys. You got to get over that money thing. And you got to come from a place of abundance, especially, mm. Russell. And of course, that's a mindset that I had to adapt and adopt. And the good news about it, quite frankly, now in the age of YouTube, internet, there's so many resources out yeah. there. So I have daily rituals, many, many daily rituals, one of which, uh, yeah, I got it here. So I'm going to be out of range for a second here. Yeah, but, no uh, you know, for example, this is a little something, but this is my gratitude rock, for example, Russell. So when I get dressed in the morning, I never go, let's see how pretty it is. Comes from the shores of Lake Titicaca in Peru. I was there trekking to Machu Picchu and biking in Bolivia with him a few years ago. Because of real estate investments, by the way, otherwise we wouldn't have that uh, freedom. It's, it's, it's <laughs> Can you hear the, the Lake Titicaca? <laughs> but so a sense of gratitude, yes. right, helps for happiness. Uh, and, but what I like about today's world and having our iPhones and technology, there's so many great tools to motivate yourself. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you have to come from a good place and we have a choice of our thoughts. I don't want to get too woo-woo on you, but <laughs> well, I do we'll work on bang my a drum and sing Kumbaya here. Well, <laughs> but I do work yeah. on my mindset, awesome. Russell. This is something that when it comes to raising money, you have to emanate that confidence but again, what gives it to you is doing your homework, going back to the risk factors and assessing and doing, conducting your due diligence very thoroughly. That's how you build up that confidence to approach somebody because you know you've done your homework. You've crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's. Yes. So if somebody doesn't have it at the beginning, uh, that's one way of you yep. know, adopting a system that will give you that confidence and build it. And that's, I make a point of teaching that. That's, mm -hmm. why, that's what I tell people. You know, yeah, at the beginning, I was afraid of raising money. Yep. Even now, uh, having difficult conversations with my real estate uh, partners now, mm -hmm. but it's not personal. If I've done the best with the investment, managing it, which I know I do because mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm up there. I, there's nothing I don't know about this business, very little, because I keep asking others, by the way. It's not just all my own knowledge. To this day, I seek to improve my knowledge, calling other landlords and calling lenders and you know brainstorming. But if I know I've done all my homework when I approach a, a potential joint venture partner, you know, I'm, I feel very secure, very confident. And that's the way to do it. It requires a lot yeah. of preparation. Yeah. So, so if I just, uh, again, you said, you say, you say a lot and, and we both can speak really fast too. Yeah, so, sorry, so guys, no, 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 I, I'm teasing, I'm, I'm teasing because, <laughs> because with a good tailwind, we'll get up to about 140 here and we'll feel like you're surrounded. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so 
really, it starts with yourself. Yeah. And first of all, it starts with yourself. But if you think about it, fear is actually an internal thought process. If you're actually only thinking about yourself, you may feel fear. But if you actually think about serving others and providing, and that's what you said for the next part. The next part was being so confident and you know what you're doing and you renegated all the risk. You should be going out and standing on a park bench and being happy to tell people because you're now providing a service to others. Yes. No, it's important to be serving others. And it's it's a long term responsibility. So absolutely, Russell. Yeah. But you have to come, you you have to work on your mindset. You have to get rid of your limiting beliefs pertaining to money and all of that. But you have to do your homework. It's a combination of everything. But the good news is mindset is changeable. And we choose our thoughts. People think our thoughts are imposed to us. No way. Do you know how many thoughts that they, uh, the average human being has? That's a pretty staggering number. Do you have any idea? No, I don't actually. It's about between, and I'm talking some of yeah. them, maybe just a few seconds, uh, you know, not even fractions of a second in terms of thoughts, between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day. Hmm. How much garbage do you think goes between the left and the right ear every oh. day? And we have a choice. We don't have to let yeah. that. So yeah. again, when it comes to money, you got to choose the right thoughts. Yeah. You got to hang out with people, yeah. good people that don't have hangups about money, but it's all a conscious choice. Every thought is a conscious choice. Same thing with your relationship with money. Nice. Again, nice. Uh, mentality of abundance versus scarcity. And, and if that's too woo-woo for everybody, what you said at the very beginning is just get over it. Get over it. Right? If you want to be successful in this game of real estate and you don't have all the capital required to yep. buy, you're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. Right? And you're going to have to get over it. You're going to have to get out there. You're going to have to start making the opportunities yep. available for people. You got to put a good plan in place, yep. which is what we're going to talk about. Okay. So I'm going to just reset the cameras here. So everybody, I'm here with a good friend, Pierre Paul Turgeon, and we're just getting warmed up. We're just about to... <laughs> Should I fix another uh, We might have to get a couple more cappuccinos going here. All right. And we might, we might go until the sun goes down, right? <laughs> All right. Sure. So, so I'm going to just reset the cameras and we'll be right back. All right, so we're back. So as you can tell, we weren't uh, we we're we we're a little low in the energy. Yeah. Like, there's no pa- yeah. there's no passion exactly. or whatever. So, so cheers, so we, cheers. We got a new fresh cappuccino. So I may have to zoom in. Look at that. That yeah. is like a pure nice little foam. I didn't do a little. Mine's got a heart. Yeah, that's like a that's like a work of art here. Look at that. That's like well done, my friend. That's like that's like. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> Nothing like a good coffee. Oh, very good coffee. <laughs> it's one of those pleasures of life is a nice cup of coffee. Listen, I mean, if we could show people, right? I live on an acreage. Yeah. Today's a blue sky day. Yeah. Uh, usually I sit to the east, watch the sunrise yeah. with my little cappuccino, often with my wife. You know, yeah. I'm an early bird, but little pleasures of life, like my fresh eggs that we had this morning That's from my right. chickens. And if you look out this way, other than with the trees in the way, you got the, 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 Rocky, the Rockies Mountains in the background yeah, here too. Yeah. It's, life is good. I mean, it's not always easy. And this real estate business is not always yeah. easy. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I work from home. Uh, you know, it's some of those pleasures of life and yeah. more freedom. You know, it comes at a price, but definitely worth it. I don't miss my cubicle at Sanity. Yes. You know that, Russell. Yes. And we're, we were just saying before we turn the cameras on how blessed we both are yeah. of just yeah. having, you know, just wonderful family. Yeah. And yeah. that's why we do a lot of these things. That's why we're up early in the morning. Yeah. And we're working our tails off at times yeah. so we could actually have time with the family. And take home the risks. Yes. Yes. But the rewards are commensurate usually. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not always, <laughs> yeah. but usually. <laughs> well, these these hard times are creating strong people. You right? know what? And these are hard times. And let's pause one moment. Yeah. I do feel that. And yeah. again, we were talking about mindset. This is challenging. If you're a real estate investor like we are in Alberta, these are very challenging times. It's a different Alberta. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's a side of me that feels really good because I'm growing, I'm learning, yeah. I'm getting better at what I do. Yeah. And believe me, I'm learning lessons, right? Yeah. 
but some of the biggest mistakes I've made were during the really good times. Yep. And didn't put the money aside, didn't, you know, you know, refinance to unrealistic valuations and, and pulled capital. Some of the biggest mistakes I made were during the really, really uh, good times. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you got to prepare, for the, prepare for the bad times and the good times and, and yep. capitalize during the bad times. Yeah. Which well, I think people should do right now. Right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Pierre Paul, you had mentioned something earlier about the Moses plan. Now we, we've parted the Red Seas and we're sorry for getting biblical <laughs> here in, in it for, uh, for a moment, but I think it's a wonderful acronym about yeah. how you present. It's, it's how you present your joint ventures or how you, another framework of how, how it, it how your deals are structured. Yeah. It's, it's another framework. Uh, it might be a preliminary document that you give. But again, I yeah. want to remind novice investors and, you know, being French, you know, I talk a lot and I have used the words, lots of words. And you if we tied your hands together, you wouldn't yeah. be able to say anything. Well, <laughs> you parlo italiano, lo posso fare anche. I speak Italian also. Yeah, that's what they'd say. Tie in Italian's hand, he won't, he'll stop. He's got half the words. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. I know this for a fact. Uh, no, so it would be a preliminary document. Yeah. Uh, there's different stages, but the idea, and I'm, I'm just trying to share my, my what I've learned, right? Obviously, for people's benefit watching, uh, being succinct is important. Yes. So the Moses plan, uh, I got a copy of it here. I had to refresh my memory a little bit, what I've got in here. But it's a preliminary document, and it's an acronym that stands for you know, a management plan. So it stands for, what is it, management, and then the O is the opportunity, and then the... Uh, uh, what is it? The next letter is S is structure. And then E is the exit, how you're going to exit the investment if somebody wants to exit. And the uh, the last S is security, right? Okay. I can go through it very quickly. Well, let's um, unpack it a little bit here. Yeah. That's, I think it's an important framework. And so we'll, we'll unpack it and we'll go through it and we'll yeah. get some notes. I want to give some idea, yeah. but I mean, it's a great tool. It's a preliminary document that if, uh, you know, to present an investment opportunity to yeah. investors that gives them a good summary of what it looks like. Yeah. And then I go into more details if they say yes, if they raise their hand and say, yeah, I'd like to continue investigating this investment opportunity. Yeah. So I think that's, more uh, important than, than just in and of itself of the Moses plan yeah. is that you actually have a plan. Most yeah. people don't have a plan, yeah. whether it's whether it's called Prime or um, Platinum or yeah. whatever it's called, yeah. whatever acronym works out to, but you have a structure. It's very structured. And, and when people very read structured. that, they just, they get the confidence that, okay, Pierre Paul knows what to do. At least he's got a plan, yeah. but some people don't. Yeah. Right. So walk us through. So M was uh, so M is the management. So yes. Who's managed? Going to manage the property. Yes. Who's going to do the accounting? Who's going to do all of that? So that's who you. The, the investors they want to know that. What yeah. your what are your credentials as a manager? Because if you're the so-called finder or the opportunity finder, if you will, uh, what what credentials do you have to do this and how are you going to do this? So it's all that kind of stuff. So that's in management. Who's going to do the bookkeeping? Who's going to do the accounting? What kind of reporting are you going to give your investors? All that. So that's in the M, under the yeah. M. And uh, then the opportunity, right? Why are you investing in that specific marketplace? Yes. Uh, what What is the opportunity with the property itself? Why is it a good property for you and your investors to invest in, right? And so you go on and describe that. And, you know, if you can fix the numbers, improve its valuation and do a refinance or whatever the opportunity is pertaining to the property, you want to describe that. Then the S is structure. Uh, what kind of legal structure to own the asset? Is it going to be a company? Is it going to be a unanimous? Are you going to use a unanimous shareholder agreement, USA? What are you going to do? And then, you know, do 
you have an acquisition fee or something like that. So giving the kind of details about the deal. The exit, well, I mean, you know, people's circumstances may change. So somebody may want to exit the deal. So how can they do that? So you would explain at a high level, you know, uh, how this can happen. That's kind of what the idea of the E. And then the security is, you know, do you have to provide personal guarantees, which yeah. I need to tell people, you need to provide personal guarantees on these loans. Yeah. It depends. This is, you know, obviously not the purpose of this talk, but depending on the type of financing, sometimes you can do away. Uh, if you go conventional financing, i.e. non-CMH insured financing, for example, in my case, if I go conventional financing, I have the strength and the personal net worth. I don't have to bring all my shareholders on board to provide personal guarantees. If I go CMHC, pretty much start with the premise that everybody who's a shareholder who has a so-called beneficial ownership mm-hmm. uh, in the asset will have to provide a personal guarantee. CMC is trying to be a little bit more flexible these days, but don't count on it. Right. Unless you go below 60% loan to value, so you know, put more money down, uh, you don't have to provide personal guarantees because there's enough security in the asset. No, the loan is low enough. Uh, but that's what goes into the security, the final S in Moses' yes. plan, okay. the acronym. Wow, that's that in and of itself is a is a presentation. Well, just a tip, workshop. right? I yeah. mean, it's, a, yeah, it's. I think that's that's brilliant. Now, a couple things. I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna unpack it, that a little bit further. But in part of the training, I train people. I feel to like do it's is, Christmas. You're unpacking, unpacking a lot of stuff. Of, well, it's, it is Christmas. I'm sitting with Pierre Paul Turgeon, and, and he's just dropping all this knowledge here. And I, and and that's one of the actual commitments I have for this program is to I, I'm actually doing it to learn myself. Yeah. And the more conversation I've been doing it almost 18 years. I've raised a lot of money and every day I learn and the commitment I make is everything I learn, I want to share. And that's what the program is all about is just sharing with others of theirs. So so one of the things I, I do teach people is if you've ever had that conversation about, and I'm just going to use a rough example of yep. the 50-50. Yep. And somebody goes, well, what are you doing for your 50-50? Yep. What are you doing for your 50% share? And then I teach people, why don't you just document all that you do and build yep. your value proposition? That Moses plan, which you share to people, you just built your value proposition. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because of all the things that you do. You know what you're doing. You have a plan. You actually have yeah. a framework. You have a structure. Yeah around all those super critical right and i've learned a lot from you in those years i remember you about the joint venturing i I learned here on my lawnmower tractor riding around the acreage and listening to those cds of you oh so i'm indebted to you in that regard that's russell i did learn a lot in that regard oh from raising capital i need to tell you this and he's not paying me to say (laughs) this okay it's a fact Remember those CDs? Yeah. I still yeah. had one of those CD players on mowing my lawn here on my acreage. I was listening to this over and over until I became yes. a, a, a fundraiser, until be I became it, be comfortable with the concepts. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how you, but it's one thought at a time again, right? Yeah. You choose to be, become or be what you want to be. Well, thank you. Thank you for those, no, those that, kind words. Uh, that wasn't planned, by yeah, the way. But yeah. uh, now that you're refreshing my memory, I, I actually see your presentations or your content. So yeah. I've learned a lot from okay. you. But yes, so thank you. But I'll tell you what, you, you've just taken it to the next level. And that's and I think that's a true testament to uh, coaching. Uh, no different than you doing a lot of coaching yourself is you want your students to actually of far course, achieve everything that you've ever of course, done. Of course. Ever, ever done that. And quite frankly, they're standing on giant shoulders of giants, which yeah. those are some pretty big shoulders over here, especially in the realm of multifamily. Yeah. You're, you're a pioneer in this. You've taken um, a lot of the education that's out there and you've consolidated it and you've made it. So people actually take action and they're not scared of doing it anymore. That's right. why my, my teaching is experiential, yeah. hands-on. Yeah. It's real deals and it's important to learn hands-on. And yeah, you got to take action. I yeah. mean, it's just being a seminar junkie is no good. Yeah. So so back up a, a step. What I'm gonna, we're going to talk more about your Moses plan here in a second. But 
in the logical progression of a conversation. Yeah. Your investors, you're looking for a select few high net worth individuals, Correct. people that understand bigger deals and they can get into stuff. Where do you typically find them? Do you, do you go to networking events? Is it through associations or referrals? Like, where do you typically find those people? So again, we mentioned that in the first part of this interview, that it's important to choose your you know, investors, your joint venture partners very carefully. In my case, I'm lucky to evolve in an environment with high net worth individuals, yeah. medical world yes. or dental world. But uh, today, in today's world, you need to you need to be out there. Now there's internet; doesn't take mm-hmm. much to be on YouTube and yeah. stuff like that. I've had, as you know, some exposure as a speaker through different associations and mm-hmm. all of that throughout the years. That helped somewhat give me a bit of exposure. But I, I'm I'm just privileged that I hang out with uh, people from the medical world yeah. or engineers, people with high net worth, uh, high net worth, and. Uh, this is maybe a bit of a challenge when it comes to apartment buildings. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do a setup. I still have a very simple setup. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do limited partnership or, uh, you know, I don't raise money publicly just because it's my style uh, of, uh, that's my approach. There, there, there's, I try to keep everything simple because life is complicated enough. So, yes. uh, you know, I could raise money publicly, but then you're subject to the Securities Commission and all that. I, to this day, have chosen not to. This may change now because I have a certain degree of maturity now. I've been mm-hmm. doing this for yep. 10 years. So from a gradual point of view or grad- graduating to that level, I think now I'm more comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't there before. And certainly for the novice people watching this uh, interview, that's I would, I would recommend keeping it simple. But when you raise money for large apartment buildings, mm-hmm. you're talking millions of dollars, right? Depending on the market you're investing in, uh, certainly it's easy to have buy two, $3 million, four, $5 million property. Mm-hmm. So you want to have people with high net worth and who have the money, who are not dependent on that money, because we've said at the beginning, it's long-term, uh, it's a long-term investment. I mean, I mean mistakes. Let's talk about that a little bit yeah. here. For example, my brother-in-law, ver- very first building I bought on my own. My first apartment building, I actually bought the store I told in 2008. Yes. That was my first one on my own. But I had been a silent investor with another partner, somebody yeah. that we both know well, who's also very successful in the world of multifamily investing. But I was just a silent investor. So that's also a good way. Sometimes yeah, so you learn by d- being yeah, on the exactly. other side. Yeah. Uh, although the only challenge with that is sometimes they don't share that much information you with you. You learn what not to do in some cases. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So from that perspective, I had a little bit of experience with that. But you go gradually. And I bought it on my first. And I, I, I approached my, uh, my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. I know it came up with $50,000. And he had to refinance his home to do this. Mm. Okay. That $50,000, and there's actually more than one brother-in-law, <laughs> to be honest with yeah. you, come to think of it, which also did the same thing. These people refinanced their money to give me $50,000 to buy this property mm-hmm. that we're now, first time I ever sell a property. But that particular brother-in-law at some point had some financial challenges. You know, his young son passed away in a motorcycle accident and all that. And all of a sudden, that person needed that $50,000. So you want to be cognizant of things like that, what it means. So, you know, what I do now, I don't get... First of all, I don't take small amounts like that because of all the systems I have in place, my credentials, my my experience at CMET and all of that, my track record. I don't take, you know, the smallest uh, amount of capital I'll take is $150,000 and I don't have too many of these. Okay. They're usually even larger amounts. Uh, the reason being is that it becomes unmanageable the more stakeholders and shareholders that you have. So you have to be mindful of managing that as well. So it's managing the expectations. And and I think this is also from you that I've learned this. Uh, You know, I do have an investor questionnaire. Yes. 
But the idea here is to make sure to be in sync with the expectations that your investors have, their investment horizon. And like I said, even their personality, because in tough times like I am in now, I'm very grateful to have taken the time to select uh, investors that are with me in the good times as well as the bad times, yep. right? Because yep. it will come. Real estate is cyclical. So, so really, you, you've taken the time and you, you mentioned you've essentially evolved into this and you've had to prove your chops. Prove, Absolutely. Prove your, prove your each step of the way. And now you can be welcomed into this high net worth yep. community because you, yep. you've done a dozen years yes. of work up before yes. and then how many more years before that with what you yes. did with CMHC. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you've earned the right to get Absolutely. into that. You, you earned that right. It's yes. definitely earned. And you can be kicked out pretty quickly. You can be kicked out pretty quickly when things go sour. <laughs> right. So, okay. So, so really somebody here, so if to get a message across to people watching is, guys, this is the long term. You're, this is the long game. You're in it for the long game. And don't be upset if you're not in the doctor, dentist, high net worth circle right now. Mm-hmm. Just wait, because they're watching you. Yeah. The, the high net worth people are watching what you're doing. They're seeing what you're doing. They're they're letting you make the investment into yourself, yeah. into your mindset, into maybe cutting your teeth on some other different yeah. type of properties before you can make the transition to the next level. Yeah. Right. And, and what people, you just mentioned something that's important. People invest in you first, yes. not in the assets second. Yes. And so how you, you know, behave yourself and how you prepare yourself is everything. Yeah. It's everything. Preparation. Yeah. And one of the other interviews I had, the, the fellow was saying, you know, some people came to them after six, seven years after Absolutely. first contact. And they finally said, you know what? I think you've figured it out finally. And you've yeah. made all the mistakes already. So I, I'm ready right. now. Here's my, oh, by the way, I got a half. Are you okay to start with a half a million? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I get, I get these large amounts now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not. They don't. <laughs> it's not every day, but I do have. And I. And here's the thing. I. You mean, mean it's not raining cash? Like no. <laughs> but but I do want to say something, Russell. And it's not to pat myself on the yeah. back, but those systems. So I just yeah. gave you. I mean, this stuff. Like, and that's why you do this series of courses. You know, this is like the Moses plan, or you know, using the framework that I talked about. You're right. There are prices because a lot of us didn't have all these tools right when we started. But the idea is that's what you attract capital. You don't really raise capital. And it's by having these systems in place that you can accomplish, uh, you know, that kind of a result. Do you you feel it's, um, and now this is a little bit of an age old chick, you know, pardon the pun, because we just had wonderful uh, chicken (laughs) and the egg question, some wonderful eggs this morning. Do you feel that you need to have a good deal? first or do you need to um, go out and make lots of presentations and things yeah. like that it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg but yeah what do i love you think that question is, though yeah. uh, so for me clearly yeah. i'm a hands-on kind of guy yeah. hence the reason why my course my training is experiential i usually need to have a deal first to yes. do the best of job however uh, the same process, like the Moses plan, I have approached people at a high level saying, I don't have like the O stand, stands for yep. opportunity, yep. which is the building and the market. But uh, so I would describe the market in detail yep. because I had that information, that data. And then I would say the kind of deal I was looking for. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, generically speaking, for example, uh, you don't want to over leverage financing, which is something given what we know in Alberta, for example, mm-hmm. I never exceeded, never, I've never been one of those that would go to the highest loan to value, for example. That's one way of mitigating that risk factor, uh, the valuation risk factor. Uh, 75%, I never exceeded 75% loan to value. So I would describe that. I would describe what the the property would uh, look like as best or certain parameters that are generic. That's how I would do it. But of course, you do a better job of convincing an investor when you have a deal in front of you. The challenge 
is uh, that's part of why you have no hair left, uh, Russell, because it's very stressful yeah. <laughs> when, when you're raised, you know, you got a deal in front of you, you've got an accepted offer and uh, I got a receding hairline. So I've, I've had the stress of two raising money, uh, you know, once you have an offer in place, accepted offer, but mm-hmm. that's, uh, it's, it's easier when you have a deal in front of you because yeah. then you get, can be very specific with specific numbers. Yeah. There's great tools out there as well uh, to to put all that data, the numbers together. What is it? Property Analyzer and it cranks out graphs and yeah. it's like 50 bucks on your iPad and then you print it. You can incorporate your logo and all this stuff. Yeah, it I was mean, an Excel-based spreadsheet. I just saw one that just came or through, the, so. the, that's not Excel, yeah. it's PDF, yeah. okay, but uh, cool. you put all your numbers and draws, all the beautiful graphs and your return on investment and uh, your, your pictures and mm-hmm. it's fantastic. But I mean, the point is you got to do your research. There's tools yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I usually ask when someone asks that question, I usually ask the question is, okay, do you have an opportunity on the go? Yes yeah. or no? Um, if it's no, then okay, do you have some leads on that you're working with some money partners? My, my point I'm trying to get to is whatever you got, start with what you got. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, don't let what you don't have stop you from keep moving forward because you can always get a deal opportunity. A deal opportunity doesn't mean you're buying it. It could be one you're analyzing. Yeah. And I had a conversation with a guy the other day and, and his first joint venture partner came to him from, he was just analyzing an Excel spreadsheet and a cash flow performa and someone at an event said, no, let me take a look at that. Oh, he's looking at, oh, that's pretty cool. Good, good. The next day, the guy phones him and said, hey, I like to put money into that deal. Wow. And he's going, well, actually, I, I don't own it, but good conference. So then he then qualified yep. him and then filtered. And then he bought another one like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, there's just right. stuff out there. And, Whatever uh, you got, start with it. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to start. You just got to start. You got to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned something, and I'm, I'm actually going to just quickly reset the cameras here because I know this is going to be a deep conversation. Okay. So the next segment we're going to get into is um, of that Moses plan, we're going to talk a little bit more about how you structure it. And yeah. I know you keep it simple, yeah. but I think there's going to be some goal that we can bring out to people. Because sometimes people, here's what people think. When you get into multifamily, yeah. they think that it has to be offering memorandums and LPs no. and, and this fee and that fee and structure. And, and they'll be quite surprised at how, how simple you yeah. structure it. It looks very similar to almost like a single family yeah. type of thing. Yeah. But we're going to get into a lot of those kind of things and we'll unpack that in okay. a bit. So we'll be right back here, All guys. Right. All right. So what did you think of that episode? Now, just first and foremost, this is just part one of a two-part episode. We get into a lot more depth into mindset. We get a lot more depth into gratitude. We get a lot more in-depth into, you know, market conditions. Interesting. Market conditions have dramatically shifted since Pierre Paul and I had this conversation. We were talking an awful lot during these conversations about, you know, some of the the downturn and some of the um, challenging times and things have been a little bit rough and you have to really just survive and get through. And the market in Alberta has fundamentally shifted over the last little while. And interesting to note, just had a conversation with my business partner this morning and it's significantly changed even just within the last three months that Builders are coming in with new price increases. Builders are now coming in, you know, even just doing things like locking in your prices on pre-builds, locking in your, you know, pre-sale program is builders are not doing that at the moment. They're getting reservations and then they're getting pricing when they come down closer to when the build is at lockup phase. That's when they can quote a price at that time. Which here's the thing, guys, that is the start of everything, the ripple effect to start going throughout the market, to have things start happening at new builds, new construction, which then ripples into the resale market as well. And it's been, you know, I'll say it's been a while coming, but the Alberta 
Edmonton, Calgary marketplace are starting to come to thaw and they're starting to have some significant growth and significant growth and churn that's upcoming. Now, stay tuned, guys. I'm going to be announcing something in the next little while. I've done a little pivot on what I was thinking about doing for for this, this quarter. Many of you have probably heard that I was talking about bringing out a real estate leadership program, a real estate influencer program, I called it at that time. And it's still on the books. I still have it 100%. I have it here. But here, here's the thing that's happening is... Um, the market conditions in my target market have turned very favorable that I need to put aside some more time and effort and resources into start building out and getting acquisition mode back up again. You know, the best analogy I'd say is the Department of Natural Resources just came into the fishing hole and dumped a whole bunch more fish into the pond. And there's an opportunity at hand. And I don't think um, I don't want to sleep on it. I really don't. I'm quite convinced that the opportunity in Alberta is still going to be a long one. There's still going to be many, many more years to come, but the opportunity is at hand now to acquire some really good assets. Now, let's, let's actually take a step back here. If any of you are following along on my podcast, you can probably trace back to well over a year ago, year and a half ago, where my business partner, Jason, and I were talking about what's coming, guys. It's coming. It's coming. We can see it. We had people arguing with us. Oh, Alberta's done and dusted. Nothing's happening there. You know, they were arguing with us. And I said, no problem. Let's just bookmark this post and let's see what happens in the next couple of years from here. But it's coming. We're seeing it. We're seeing investors from Ontario. We're seeing, you know, the likes of the Mark Lofflers of the world and people that are very savvy investors coming out and filling their boots with some good Alberta properties. We're seeing research experts that I almost fell off my chair a little while ago. Sorry, I'm going to frame this properly. My earbuds just about popped out of my head when I heard a couple of Ontario-based real estate experts and Ontario-based analysts talking about Alberta real estate and how great of an opportunity it is. And some of these people are extremely bullish on BC and Ontario, and they're talking about they're now buying in Calgary's and Edmonton's and areas like that. So what I'm trying to say here, guys, is you heard it first. If you were following along, and you, I, I just wanted to congratulate many of you that took that action over the last year, and maybe you acquired a property. Maybe you acquired a property at a fantastic price point. Maybe you acquired a property with good cash flow when you when you purchase it. Just wait till you see what's going to happen once the rents start going up to what your cash flow is going to do. So congratulations if you took action at that time. However, the window is open. It's not going to stay open forever. It's going to stay open for a while. I, I firmly believe the window and the buying opportunity is upon us. And that's why I'm doing a little bit of a pivot within myself. Details to follow is that I'm cranking up the buying machine again. I'm cranking up um, the acquisition mode, cranking up potentially getting a flipping model in place, cranking up getting some good purpose-built multifamily construction projects together and putting, you know, Let's put my money where my mouth is. Let's get a group of people together and let's get some capital investors together. And you know what, Russ, you're the JV Jedi. Let's start putting some more capital together and let's start acquiring some more properties. So that's where I'm at. And if any of you are ever interested, you know, I get questions all the time as Russell, can I participate alongside you on a deal? Can I learn from you as you're doing this deal? Can I get involved in some of these, you know, RAS roots opportunities? Normally my answer has been, let's, Play it cautiously and let's move along slowly. But I, I'm here now as, you know what? I think it's time to open it up. 
And if any of you are interested in having a conversation, just reach out to me on my website. You can go there and book a free consultation or send me an email to note at hello at russellwestcott.com if you're interested in having a conversation about maybe an investable opportunity in Alberta and particularly Edmonton. And I have contacts throughout the entire province. If Edmonton's not your cup of tea and you want Calgary or Lethbridge or Red Deer or anything like that, I have an entire network of people I can get you in contact with. Okay, gang, if you're interested in that, by all means, please let me know. With all that being said, remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.